Aaron. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. The seculars call it Rosh Hashanah. The Bible calls it the Feast of Trumpets or Yom Teruah. And today on Viewpoint, we take a look at this most important of the seven feasts of the Lord. Well, it is one of the most important seven feasts of the Lord that are set forth in the book of Leviticus, chapter 23. It started on the 6th of this month and concludes this evening for the diaspora around the world. And today we're going to take a look at this very important uh, fifth of the seven feasts of the Lord, again, found in Leviticus chapter 23. What is the significance? Israel's prophets repeatedly warned of a coming dark day of judgment. They called it the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord would be a time when the Lord would pour out his wrath, not only upon Israel's enemies, but upon Israel herself to bring repentance to her and into the new covenant. In fact, the prophet Amos spoke of this dark day of judgment. He said, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. And again, the Hebrew prophet Zephaniah made this ominous warning. The great day of the Lord is near. The day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet, a day of the trumpet. Well, what about the trumpet? What about the trumpet? Well, there's something about the sound of a trumpet that just pierces through everything else, especially if that trumpet happens to be a shofar, a ram's horn. It is a sound that nobody can miss. It is a sound more piercing, more heart-shaking than the sound of a regular trumpet. We're going to hear that sound here today on Viewpoint, or at least we're going to hear us a symbol of that sound, and I'm glad that you've joined us. It's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And today is one of those days, friends, because the very purpose of this day, Rosh Hashanah, which, by the way, is the Hebrew word for head of the year, head of the year. But that actually is kind of a a dance away from the real purpose of Rosh Hashanah, which actually is not in the Bible. You don't find Rosh Hashanah in the Bible. That's a rabbinical concept. That's a cultural concept that's been adopted. But the real biblical name is the Feast of Trumpets, or Yom Teruah, which means the day of the call for repentance. The day for the call of repentance, and we supposedly have been hearing that call in America. we supposedly been hearing that call in America for a good 40, 50 years now. But we've seen very little repentance. Very little repentance. Oh, we've heard a lot of calls for somebody else to repent. 
the liberals, the abortionists, homosexual, uh, the homosexual, transgender, Slick Willie in the White House, Obama, Biden, uh, <clears throat> the heads of Black Lives Matter, and so on. We've heard all those calls, but the reality is God's call is not to them, but to you and to me, those who profess his name. The Feast of Trumpets was a call to those who were called after the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, heirs according to the promise. It was to them that the warning was to be brought. It was to them that there would be ten days of awe followed by the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the highest holy day of the Jewish year. And then that would be followed by the Feast of Tabernacles, the most joyous of the seven feasts of the Lord. But today, we focus on the one that leads the way in God's mercy and his grace all the way up to the Feast of Tabernacles. So, I hope you'll stay tuned. It's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, hopefully talk that transforms this very day. So, before we go further, I'd like for you to just kind of get your emotional and spiritual feet wet, so to speak, with regard to this uh, wonderful song called Blow the Trumpet in Zion, taken actually from the book of Joel in the Old Testament. So here we go.
Well, that's exactly what we're told to do. Sound the trumpet in Zion, friends. Sound the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mount. We'll be right back after this to take a deeper look into Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Perhaps you have been hearing or reading on the Internet. Perhaps you hear people give greetings, New Year's greetings. All over the world, politicians giving New Year's greetings to Israel. Why? Because they're celebrating Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year, always observed in autumn. And it occurs on the first day of the Hebrew month, Tishri, which is the seventh Hebrew month in their calendar. That's usually in mid-September or early October. And Israel's two other autumn holidays, which we already mentioned here, are Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and that's on Tishri 10, and the Feast of Tabernacles that begins on Tishri 15. But the Feast of the Day of Trumpets was celebrated as a one-day holiday, but for the diaspora, That is, those scattered throughout the world, it ends up being, well, like uh, two days, two and a half days, something like that. So, it ends officially for the diaspora this evening. It began two days ago. The biblical record for Rosh Hashanah observance is not lengthy, it's not complicated. In fact, it's very simple, and that is it's to be a day of blowing trumpets and to keep the day as a Sabbath rest. A day of blowing of trumpets and to keep the day as a Sabbath rest. Now, how do you rest when the trumpet's blowing? Because the very blowing of the trumpets is indicative that something needs to be stirred up in you, and that certainly doesn't sound like rest, does it? But the reality is that that stirring up What God wants to be stirred up in you and in me and in all of us who profess his name will lead us to that rest. The problem is that we haven't been resting. We haven't been trusting in his word, his will, and his ways. And so God says, look, I'm going to stir you up. I'm going to have the trumpet sound. I'm going to hear, have Yom Teruah, the blowing of the shofar to shake you up so that you can get your life in order, so that you can repent and prepare the way of the Lord, so that when I come on the Feast of Tabernacles, everything will be quiet and restful in your heart, and you'll be able to receive me with open arms. So the actual observance, by the way, of the Feast of Trumpets is only recorded once in the Bible, Uh, Ezra, related that it was during the Feast of Trumpets that the temple altar was rebuilt and the sacrifices were instituted, that is, reinstituted, 
by those who return from the Babylonian exile. And Nehemiah uh, recorded that there was a sweeping revival that also took place in Israel that same day as Israel rehearsed God's law in the ears of the people. So that gives us a clue. If we want to hear the voice of the trumpet, if we want to hear the voice of the biblical shofar, in other words, the word of God by the spirit of God uh, being sounded forth, uh, shall we say, dramatically and uh, to engage us electrically, an electrical charge uh, to stir us up spiritually, if we want to hear that, we need to get into God's Word. We need to hear what it has to say, because it's not all about nice, uh, sweet nothings. It's about stirring us up. It's about getting us ready. It's about preparing us as a bride for the bridegroom. Are you ready? Don't answer too quickly. So, Rosh Hashanah occurs on the first day of this uh, Sabbath of months in which all three of Israel's autumn holidays occur. So, in ancient Israel, the new moon was normally announced by short blasts of the trumpet, but the new moon on the seventh month was celebrated by long blasts on the trumpet, emphasizing what? The solemnity and uniqueness among the months. Tishri. Now, if you read in most English Bibles, they don't really distinguish between the different types of uh, Hebrew trumpets. They, they had a straight metal trumpet that was flared at the end, and uh, God had commanded the sons of Israel to fashion two silver trumpets. And uh, according to a fellow by the name of Josephus, the historian, the priest blew this trumpet for the southwest corner of the temple wall to announce the beginning and ending of every Sabbath. But in recent days, those trumpets have actually been reconstructed by the Temple Institute in Jerusalem in preparation for the future rebuilding of the temple. The other Hebrew trumpet, a shofar, was a curved trumpet fashioned from a ram's horn. I happen to have four of those myself. I have two long ones and two short ones. And I prefer the long ones, quite frankly. Actually, I find them a lot easier to blow. And uh, I would have blown it today, except uh, I was not in a position to be able to get it in position uh, to do that for you. But the type of trumpet for Rosh Hashanah was not specifically identified in the Bible. But, almost without exception... The historical observance has been with the ram's horn, the shofar, not the silver trumpets of the priests. Why? Well, there's something about that shofar, friends. Something about that shofar. Have you heard it? Have you ever heard it? Oh, if you have heard it, you know. It pierces even to the dividing of soul and spirit virtually like the word of God, piercing even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit, discerning even the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It's a haunting sound. And believe it or not, in June of 1967, that haunting sound of the shofar again echoed on the Temple Mount after almost 1,900 years. It was sounded by the chief rabbi, Shlomo Green, 
after Israeli soldiers restored Jewish sovereignty over East Jerusalem and reunited Israel's eternal capital. You know what? It was sounded again. It was sounded again when Donald Trump actually proclaimed that uh, Jerusalem was the eternal capital of Israel, proclaimed on the behalf of the Gentile world that it was the eternal capital of Israel, and then moved our embassy there. Now, in order to comprehend the meaning of Yom Kippur, uh, Yom Kippur and uh, the feasts that follow, I don't mean Yom Kippur, I mean uh, uh, Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets, there is, following this dramatic trumpet sound of the shofar, a 10-day period. That 10-day period leads up to Yom Kippur, which are the two high holy days of, the Ju- of Judaism called the Days of Awe. Now, why are they called the Days of Awe? Those 10 days. Because, friends, it's an awesome thing to stand before the God of creation, the God of the universe. We sing, our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above. But we've so diminished and demeaned the word awesome. But actually, if we really want to understand the depths of the biblical understanding of that, we need to look at the term, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the holy is understanding. All of the promises of God, every single one of them, including salvation itself, is predicated on the fear of the Lord as the foundation. You lose the fear of the Lord, and you will not obey him. You lose the fear of the Lord, and you will not repent. That's why the trumpet must sound. The trumpets must sound. The, the, the shofar must sound. Now, God prepared a way culturally and in biblical practice through the Torah for Israel every year on Tishri 1 to remember the awesomeness of God and that he not only is a loving father, but he will be the eternal judge. Now, that concept has basically, in many respects, been lost in terms of actual operational reality in most people's lives, including Christians, including many pastors. They just don't quite get it. In theory, they understand, but in actual practice, if they really understood it, they would preach about it. If they really understood it, they would apply it. If they really understood it, they would talk about the fear of the Lord. By the way, that's why I wrote the book, The Secret of the Lord. The secret of the Lord is with them who fear him, and to them and them only will he manifest his covenant. You can find that in Psalm 25, 14. In fact, that book, The Secret of the Lord, encompasses, it wraps together the fullness of the understanding of the fear of the Lord for our time so that we can, anybody who reads it can go back and understand the completeness from Genesis to Revelation, the various scriptures that there are dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of them, New and Old Testament, that talk about the fear of the Lord. 
and the blowing of the shofar at Yom Teruah is for the purpose of bringing the mind and heart of those who profess the name of the Lord back into recognition that he is God and there ain't none other. He is the King of Kings. He will be the Lord of Lords and he will judge the earth in righteousness. When was the last time you heard that Jesus is going to judge the earth in righteousness? The Bible says he will. Both Old and New Testaments. He will judge the world in righteousness. That means he's not just the Savior from sin. He will be the judge of whether or not you have truly repented and whether or not you are truly walking with him in love, in commitment, as a genuine bride. And so, if you were to go to, uh, for instance, David, King David, who was a man after God's own heart, he penned the words, let them, that is the enemies of God, be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. Now, why would he talk about that? The Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Did you hear that? Now, that may go against your theology, but does your theology line up with God's? I mean, after all, theology is supposed to be the study of God. And the Lord said to Moses in Exodus chapter 32, verses 32 to 33, whoever, and he was talking about those Israelites who he had brought out of Egypt, the heirs, the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who were heirs according to the promise that in and through them would all the nations of the earth be blessed. He was talking to them. And the Lord said to Moses, who had just brought these people out, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Are you beginning to understand why, from God's perspective or viewpoint, it would be necessary for Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets, the day of repentance to be brought in all of its fullness to the mind and the heart of those who profess the name of the Lord. That's what it's about. It's about self-purification, the shedding of one's sins by uh, repentance. Admitting confessing your sin. In fact, uh, John, the disciple, said, if you confess your sin, he will be faithful and just to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But if you say you haven't sinned, you make him a liar, and his word is not in you. We're tying the whole scripture together today so that we can understand it's not just about some ancient Hebrew feast of the Lord. Those were, shall we say, harbingers projecting 
all of biblical prophecy to the end of times upon God's people to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour. We need to prepare. That's why here on this program, almost daily, we say we're preparing the way of the Lord for history's final hour. We'll be right back after this. Stay tuned. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. This conversation is always with deep conviction. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. It's the beginning of Days of Awe, called Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets, and in secular Israel, referred to as Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year, the Jewish New Year. And so all across the world, you'll hear people uh, talk about Rosh Hashanah, and uh, they'll be greeting one another uh, with uh, like New Year's greetings. And it's supposed to be a very joyous time. However, the reality is, from the biblical perspective, it's not a joyous time. Just the opposite. Have you noticed how humankind is prone to try to make that which God calls serious into something to be celebrated? And that which God wants to be celebrated, we try to make serious. It's interesting. Our human nature is really quite uh, able to twist things, uh, isn't it? Including that of professing Christians. And this program is directed to those who name the name of Christ, who claim to be followers of not only God, but of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This 10-day period from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur is called the Days of Awe. And it's a 10-day period of giving us an opportunity as human beings to get serious with God. That's probably the best way to put it, to get serious with God. In other words, to take seriously his commands and whether or not our lives line up with God's expectations. For instance, let's, let's go to the New Testament for just a moment. When Jesus said... If you will not forgive others their trespasses against you, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. Oh. Oh. You see, if we don't remind ourselves, if we don't allow that passage, the words of the Lord himself to come like a shofar blast into our lives, we'll pretend that they're not there. 
But ignorance of the law is no excuse, as you know. And so Jesus said, look, it's not just about your attitude. It's about your actions. It's about your actions and your attitudes. And if you will not forgive other people their trespasses against you, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. And guess who's going to be the judge of that? Jesus. Why? Because he forgave even when he was absolutely, totally innocent, right there on the cross, bloodied up, beaten, and about to die. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And who was he really talking about? He wasn't talking about the Roman soldiers. He was talking about the scribes and the Pharisees, God's chosen people that were crucifying the very Son of Glory. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Every one of us has situations that arise in our lives. I don't care who you are. I don't care what family you're in or what church you're in or what line of work you're in. We all have situations where people offend, we're accused unjustly, uh, things have been done, uh, some, some severe and some less severe. Uh, my wife and I have had a number of times to deal with some dramatic situations where we had to forgive. We didn't do it reluctantly. We had to ask the Lord to help us to understand how to deal with situations like when a Christian brother embezzled embezzled a huge sum of money from us personally. Not from the ministry, from us personally. It left us wondering whether God was even with us. And we had to forgive. And we had to find a way to help our congregation forgive because they were taking up stones, so to speak. They were taking up an offense on our behalf against this Christian brother. And that itself was wickedness. You may have a situation like that. You see, we're preparing the way of the Lord. We have to prepare the way of the Lord in our lives. That's just one little illustration. Maybe you've had a situation with your spouse or your kids. Who knows? Maybe a pastor with the people in his congregation or the people with their pastor, just all kinds of things with a neighbor. God says, if you aren't going to take care of the things that concern me, depending on how long you go with that and refuse, I'm going to block you out of my book. That's what the Lord said to Moses. David said, let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. This is a serious thing, friends. According to Jewish history and tradition, it's believed that God reviews the books of judgment on Rosh Hashanah, that's Tishri 1, and meets out final judgment on Yom Kippur, Tishri 10. That's why these 10 days are believed to be the last chance to repent before God's judgment is finalized for the coming year. So when is 
that judgment coming. There is a judgment that is coming. You remember when John the Baptist came and baptized Jesus and was preaching repentance. He was the one, the forerunner of Christ, who was to prepare the way of the Lord before his first coming. And his message was, repent. It was the message of Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then when Jesus came to fulfill that call, his message was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the Yom Teruah message. The blowing of trumpets. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That message caught a lot of the people when John the Baptist was preaching, and they asked him, well, what should we do then? And he gave them some practical things, what that was going to imply and mean for their lives. Jesus gave other ways, other teachings uh, during his three and a half years on the planet. Then when he passed the baton upon his death and resurrection, he passed the baton to his disciples. And what did they teach and preach? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel, the good news. Well, what's the good news? The good news is that you don't have to face the judgment of God if you repent and come clean before him and walk in righteousness. See, so Jesus said, but seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his right ways according to the word, the will, and the ways of God. But unfortunately, so much of those right ways is not taught or preached today. Why? Because we have progressively adopted the ways of the world, the cultural distinctions of the world, the morals of the world. It's pretty amazing. During my lifetime, I have watched this complete transition. It's been quite amazing to watch it, first as a child and then as a teenager and then in my youth, younger days, and then on through the practice of law and ministry, and, uh, of course, the last uh, 28 years with Save America Ministries and 26 and a half years with his radio program, dealing with God's people, dealing with the leaders of God's people on this program, uh, probably somewhere between uh, three and 4,000 leaders that have appeared on this program over the past 26 and a half years. That's a lot of people. I've had opportunity to talk with them on the air and off the air. I know what's happening. I know the spirit of what is happening. And God knows it too. And he's saying, I'm trying to blow the trumpet. There aren't very many willing to blow the trumpet. They want to say sweet nothings. They want to pretend that everything is wonderful, everything is cool. Let's just come alongside. I'll put my arms around you, and we'll all sing Kumbaya and put Band-Aids on one another, and everything will feel better. It's not about feelings. It's about faith. And faith requires obedience 
And obedience requires repentance. And repentance will require a new sense of trusting, believing, and faith. And then our lives come back together in Christ. And then we rest. We rest in him as we work for the night is coming when no man can work. In other words, we do the will of the Father. This is so, so important. I, I just wish somehow that uh, I could communicate in a deeper and more passionate way the purpose that God has for this uh, ancient and yet current blowing of trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets carries a very strong prophetic overtone. These holy days commemorate no historical events, but they portray future events for the nation of Israel and through Israel, the rest of the world. And the Feast of Trumpets, listen carefully, the Feast of Trumpets is next on Israel's prophetic calendar. The, the spring harvests or, or festivals, holidays, like Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, and the Feast of Weeks, that is Pentecost, all fulfilled in connection with Jesus' first coming. Now we have three remaining. The Feast of Trumpets, Yom Kippur, and Tabernacles, all that will be fulfilled at his second coming. So when is he coming? Soon and very soon? If you believe he's coming soon and very soon, then maybe the blowing of the shofar might stir something up in our hearts to prepare the way. What say you? We'll be back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Welcome back to Viewpoint. Did you know that God blows a trumpet? That's right. There are two places in the Bible where it says God blows a trumpet or blew a trumpet. One is at Mount Sinai. You remember what happened there? It was an unbelievable thing. The Shekinah glory of the Lord descended with a fiery tempest and the sound of the shofar. And Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire and when the blast of the trumpet, that is the shofar, sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by a voice, and the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai. You can find that in Exodus chapter 19, 
verses 18 to 20. It was a dramatic, dramatic scene. The book of Hebrews in chapter 12 recalls that. You might want to go and read that. Now, there's only one other place in the Bible where the Lord himself will blow the shofar, and that will be at Messiah's return. The prophet Zechariah predicted it this way, Then the Lord will be seen over them, and his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will blow the trumpet and go with whirlwinds from the south. And the ancient rabbis repeated this verse in connection with the coming of the Messiah. They called it the ram's horn of the Holy One. And the Lord God will blow the horn. So as the day of the Lord begins, the day of the Lord is the last small portion of time just before Jesus' return as Messiah. And that's when God's last trump is going to be sounded. And the Messiah is going to reveal himself in great wrath against the workers of iniquity, and he's going to prepare the nation to be brought into the new covenant, that is Israel. So, hence we have the words, prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. In ancient Jewish tradition, they held that the resurrection of the dead would occur on Rosh Hashanah, that is the Feast of Trumpets. And so Jewish gravestones were often engraved with a shofar. Isn't that interesting? Because in Ephesians chapter, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. You wonder why I put that into music. Well, that's exactly what George Frederick Handel did in Messiah. The trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. So, in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul described the Lord's coming. He said it like this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God. Now, he's not talking about Donald Trump. He's talking about the shofar, the trumpet of God. And the dead, he said, in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now, some people will say, see, I knew that's where the pre-tribulation rapture comes in. It doesn't say anything about a pre-tribulation rapture. Nothing at all. It does talk about the rapture, but not a pre-tribulation rapture. And Jesus referred to this as his coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. God's last trump 
is going to be blown, and the day of the Lord will begin. Now, the day of the Lord, then, is gathering an assembly to the Lord in what is known as the rapture of the church. Why? So that professing Christians who are walking with him in repentance, in spirit, and in truth, and in faith, and in righteousness, and in holiness will be prepared. They will be as if they are a bride whose gowns are pure and holy, ready to meet the pure and holy bridegroom. All of this metaphorical language in the scriptures ties together around this moment. And the righteous, then, are going to be delivered from the wrath to come. You see, people are so confused. They think that somehow God is going to deliver them from the wrath of people, from the wrath of wickedness, from the wrath of this, that, or the other. Has he delivered you from it yet? No. Has he delivered you from the increasing persecution that's coming upon the church through attacks by government against churches and against pastors and so on regarding the COVID issue? No, he hasn't done that yet, has he? No. Did he deliver the Afghan Christians that are uh, being executed over there door to door by the Taliban? No, he didn't deliver them yet. Are you beginning to get the point? God has not promised to deliver professing Christians from the wrath of man. But he has promised to deliver us from the wrath of God. Because God's wrath is going to be poured out on the children of disobedience. In other words, those who rebel against his word, his will, and his ways. Those who refuse to repent, those who refuse to walk in righteousness, those who refuse to embrace him as Messiah in spirit and in truth, those who refuse to do his will, and decide, no, I'm going to do it my way. You know, the Frank Sinatras of the world. I'll do it my way. Mm -hmm. So, the righteous dead in Christ are going to rise first, and then they which remain will be uh, raptured, so that they will not endure the wrath of God. Then the last trump will sound God's battle alarm against Satan, This is going to draw the day of man's rebellion to a close, and the last trump is going to announce the coming and soon coronation of the Messiah, for he alone will be exalted in that day. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. But the point is not just to revel in the hope of the second coming, but to prepare the way so that that hope is real. That's what people don't want to do. Pastors are afraid to do that because they're afraid that people, given our culture and so on, are not going to respond well, that they'll lose their congregations. It really is a... We talk about cancel culture, But the concept of cancel culture has been going on deeply in the heart of professing Christians in our churches 
for a good 50 years, progressively. Canceling out certain parts of the gospel, canceling out uh, the call to obedience. For instance, when Jesus said, and I know you don't like to hear it, but I'm going to say it again, when Jesus said, whoever divorces their spouse causes them to commit adultery. And whoever marries the one so divorced commits adultery. What do we say? What do you say? What does your pastor say? What does your uh, Christian counselor say? Are you beginning to get the point? We don't agree. Or at least most Christians don't agree. Some do. But if we disagree with what God has said, if we disagree with what Jesus said, where does that put us with regard to being prepared to receive the bridegroom? That's what Yom Teruah, the call to repentance, the blowing of trumpets, is all about. To shake us up, get us ready. The unfortunate thing is that unrepentant Israel, along with Gentiles, are going to suffer the fury of God's wrath before they're willing to say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, uh, uh, receive Jesus as Messiah. But the concept of repentance, is, it's not just for Israel. It's basic to the whole word of God. And it's connected to prophecy. Repentance is required of everybody, Jew and Gentile. It is the life and death principle in the Scripture. As the Scripture says, the soul who sins shall die. But if a wicked man turns from all his sins, he'll surely live. And teshuva, in Hebrew, repentance literally means to return. So God says, return unto me, and I then will return unto you. You can find that in the book of Malachi. Return unto me, and I will return unto you. Notice, you have to enter, enter, uh, uh, institute and uh, begin the process of returning. He may be wooing you by his mercy and grace to return, but you have to do the turning. He's not going to turn you. Repentance requires that a person turn away from sin by forsaking it, not playing footsie with it, not pretending, not hoping that God won't remember it. And repentance requires that we turn toward God by putting our complete trust in him, which means we are willing to lay aside every sin every weight and every sin that weighs us down and run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And the day is coming, which we believe that Messiah King is going to come. Jesus is going to return to Jerusalem. He's going to reign over the earth. He's going to reign forever as the prophets foretold. For those who put their trust in him. So the Bible says we need to seek him now. There was one of Israel's ancient rabbis, his name was uh, Eliezer, 
And he said, repent one day before your death. And his astonished disciples said, well, does, does then one know on what day he will die? And the rabbi responded, then all the more reason that you repent today. So <laughs> understandably then, we don't know the day when we will die. You don't know. Just yesterday I received word that a dear friend of ours from many years ago just passed away. That one could possibly be expected because he was in his mid-80s. But then again, we received word that a dear relative of ours incurred a major back problem, had to have surgery immediately, may possibly, unless the Lord intervenes, be paralyzed. But we don't know. We just do not know. You don't know whether you have one day left. So that's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't harden your heart. Today is the day of salvation. Have you truly repented? You see, repentance is something that's an ongoing thing for true Christians. That's how we walk with the Lord in the light of his word. And when we do that, what a glory he sheds on our way. When we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Thanks for joining us here on Viewpoint today. Get a copy of the book, The Secret of the Lord. Uh, I think it'll be a blessing to you. It's a $20 book, yours for $15 on our website, saveus.org, about restoring the fear of the Lord, which is the foundation for everything. I think you'll find it to be a positive book. The Secret of the Lord. Thanks for joining us. Become a partner. Send your groups by faith to save American ministries. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.